baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley and Nick Green. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, joined by Nick Green for our weekly conversation about the Braves and Major League Baseball. We have turned the calendar month from April to May. So it's a brand new month and hopefully some brand new trends for the Atlanta Braves as they embark on what will be a very long road trip and one that we'll talk about a little bit on this episode. Could be something that may be the first real hurdle or first real challenge for this team in terms of just maybe figuring out who they are and getting themselves on track away from home, which was something that worked out pretty well for him in 2018. We'll dive into that. We'll talk about a couple of young Braves starters who are looking pretty good and who are leading the Braves staff. And that may have been unexpected even a month ago because neither of them were in the starting rotation. That, of course, would be Max Fried and Mike Soroka. We'll talk about them and so much more. But, Nick, we've got a month's worth of baseball under our belts. It feels pretty good, but we got to strap in because this marathon really is still just getting started. It really is. And when I look at what's going on with Atlanta – and just the NL East in general, I feel good because even though the Braves aren't playing up to their potential, you still feel pretty good about the team, and, and I'm excited to see where things go. And We've talked about this before, is guys figuring things out, guys stepping up, guys improving, and I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most. And There's still a long season to play baseball and to see these guys improve and to see the Braves improve as a team, uh, so I'm excited. Well, a lot of baseball left to be played, most certainly. A lot of show left to go as well. And if you like what you hear on From the Diamond, I invite you to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave us a rating and a review. We're always appreciative of those. And on social media, you can find us. Twitter is the place at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, and he is at Nick Green 20 FromTheDiamond.com is where you can find every episode and everything else that we'll get into throughout the course of the 2019 season and beyond. So let's dive into this Atlanta Braves news. As you mentioned, yeah, there is a lot of baseball left to be played, and it is, I think, some optimism to be had based on some of the early returns for this Braves club, but also a healthy amount, I would say, of pessimism based on some things that haven't gone exactly the way that they want it to. I want to kind of go out of order. I know I sent you a list of topics, but I kind of want to drop down to, (laughs) did the Braves kind of squander a bit of a chance to take advantage of all their early home games, particularly some of those that got away. We've talked a lot about games that they had a lead that ended up turning into losses, and that's a lead at any point in the game, not just putting it all squarely on the bullpen, but just games that got away from them because Atlanta has played, as of Thursday's series finale with the Padres, they will have played a major league most 20 home games and sit right around 500 in those games, right around 500 on the season. They were only five games over 500 at SunTrust Park last year. Should we read too much into that kind of an early trend or make too much of not really taking advantage of home cooking, if you will? Not, I don't think so. I mean, I think that when you look at what the good teams do, they play above 500 on the road, but not that much above 500, but they really take advantage of home games. 
and the Braves have not been able to take advantage of that. When you look at Philadelphia this year, just to start this year out, they played 18 games or 12 and six at home. So um, they're five and seven away. You have to win at home, and that's the bottom line. The rest of the East is struggling at home too. So that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is you can't continue to, to, I guess, go with this type of trend. Um, you're supposed to win the home games. You want to get home. You're excited to get home. You have a long road trip coming up, a 10-day or 10-game road trip. And when you come back home, you're expecting to win those games at home. You want to play 500 ball on the road and then come home and take advantage of, of home games. They haven't been able to do that. They weren't really able to do it last year. So I, I think you can read into it a little bit. And I think they need to figure something out and they need to get this thing turned around. And we'll talk a lot about the standings, but if you just happen to scan across and look, I mean, American League East, American League Central, and American League West, only two 500 teams in each one of those divisions. The National League East, meanwhile, is right as of now a three-team race. The Washington Nationals are having all kinds of trouble, so they've kind of faded back. So the Braves are within striking distance. They head into Thursday and really toward this road trip, only a couple of games behind the pace of the Phillies. The Mets are right there as well. And then you look out in the Central and that's a much more tightly contested race. That looks like it could be a three, maybe a four-team race, depending on what the Pirates do. And, of course, out west, we know how good the Dodgers are. And we've seen the Diamondbacks and the Padres firsthand. So if you just are to compare the Braves against the rest of baseball, I think that they're in a good enough spot to maintain, again, being within striking distance. Because the last thing you want to do is end up in a place where, say, the Miami Marlins are, where we just turned the calendar to May and they're eight games out of first place. Now, their expectations totally different than the Braves, but given some of the ups and some of the downs for the Braves this year, I think 500, all things considered, is not a bad place to start the month of May. But as you mentioned, and as we'll talk about, I guess, right now, we might as well jump into it. This 10-game road trip that's coming up, I feel like this is going to be a real test, perhaps the first big test for this team in 2019. Would you agree with that? I agree. And it starts out with Miami They've got to take care of business against the Marlins. We already know that. Uh, then you jump to L.A. and Arizona. So the West Coast trip usually is not kind to the Braves. They need yeah. to figure out a way to to at least go 500 on this trip. I, I don't feel like this Braves club can afford to continue to to squander opportunities, squander chances to, to get wins. You've got to get all the wins you can get. I know it's early, uh, and nobody's really taking advantage of the other team struggling in the division. But at some point, somebody's going to. So you need to take care of your business. Um, the, I think the road trip is huge. and I, The Dodgers are legit. Uh, they're one of the best teams in the game. Uh, they've been on a tear, and they are 12-4 and four at home. So you talk about home road splits, 12-4 and four at home. Uh, so they definitely get things done at home. Um, but you, you look at the Arizona series, that's a four-game set, I believe, and you have to split that. You've got, to, you've got to take two or three from Miami. You've got to try to get uh, home with a 500 record on the road. So uh, is, is it a big road trip? Absolutely. Uh, is it an early part of the season? Yes, but it all counts. Absolutely, it does, because those losses in April, just as costly or just as important, I guess you should say, as much weight should be put on them as the ones in September. The thing with September, of course, is time. You're running out of time, so you got to win all those games. And, and and you remember those games because yep. they're the most recent. You'll forget about the ones early until you look back at the, the schedule and be like, oh, wow, we lost all these close games early on. If we would have won five of those, then we wouldn't be in the position we're in. So, yeah, they all count. 
Yeah, it's it's strange as well if you look at what it takes to be an over 500 team or the difference in being and a 90-win team and an 84-85 win team is basically one win a month. They said the same thing. It's a difference in being a 75-win team and an 81-win team. If you just win one more here or there, it can change really the entire way that you look back on the season. And that was something I thought about a lot last year with the Braves in terms of their projection for wins was obviously not 90 and a National League East title, but that's where they found themselves. Now, as you look at this road trip, you got to handle business against the Marlins. You're absolutely right about that. No team in baseball has scored fewer runs than the Marlins. Meanwhile, Braves' offenses look pretty good, so you have to feel pretty good about that. The Dodgers, though, are showing. They're one of the best teams in baseball. They perennially are right there, and they, of course, have the roster to do it. And then the Braves have gotten a firsthand look at just how pesky the Arizona Diamondbacks can be because they already have been swept by Arizona in what was, as we go back and kind of look at it, a little bit of a missed opportunity for the Braves in terms of taking advantage of their home games because they did not handle business in a couple of those games and they got away from them. But 10 games, four against Arizona, three against L.A., three against Miami, that, of course, is reverse order. But, Nick, I think a 500 road trip would be great, but if you could get home somehow, six and four, that would be, I think, a big win. Not the biggest win that you could possibly have, but just in terms of making the most of that road trip, I think it would be a pretty good return to come back over 500 on this road trip. And if the Braves' offense is rolling, they have a decent chance of doing that, I think. I do, too. And it's going to start with Miami, though. If you if you don't at least take two out of three, I would love to, for them to sweep Miami. Then it's going to be really hard. Uh, taking two out of three might be difficult against L.A. Uh, I think that the, the Braves could go into Arizona and flip the switch a little bit and win three out of four there. But you just don't know. It's going to be the, the Arizona series, the back end of that road trip. These guys are going to be tired. Uh, they played a lot of baseball. I think they're in a stretch of 20 games in 20 days or something like that they are. Uh, right now. So, yeah, so it, they're going to be tired on the back end of that, that road trip. Uh, can they go six and four? They could. Uh, I think five and five is more realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you sweep Miami to start this thing out, then they have a good chance of going six and four. No, they definitely do, because that would mean by some very simple math that you just have to win three of your final seven games. But as you pointed out, the West Coast has oftentimes not been very kind to the Braves. It seems like there have been years where even when things were going well, they would go out West and things would kind of come off the rails for a week or two based on how things went with that. And then the effect that it can have once you've gone out there and kind of deal with the jet lag and the travel and all the other things that go with it, even coming back. Because when they come back, it's not going to get any easier in the month of May because all that's waiting for you when you come back to SunTrust Park after a much-needed off day on Monday the 13th, the St. Louis Cardinals and Milwaukee Brewers, two teams that have certainly <laughs> been doing their fair share of winning in the early going and are fighting each other for a playoff spot out of the Central. So it's going to be tough. And that's, I guess, when I come back and look at the month of April, the games that they did have those leads in, and the fact that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, of their losses this year, the Braves have led at some point in 11 of those. Doesn't mean you're going to win every single one of them. Some of those, that's a lead in the first, second, third inning, and things obviously can happen. But the Braves do have to find a way to turn some of those leads into wins at the highest rate possible because I think this club, it feels like, is even though everyone is not going at the same time, and that's an incredibly difficult thing to do in baseball to get your offense and your pitching staff, both rotation and bullpen, all going, in the same direction at the same time, if they do hit their stride, it seems like a lot of the pieces are in place for the Braves to have a good run in them. But getting that to happen, of course, has been the big question. Um, 
looking at, though, one aspect of the Braves that we kind of wondered what the makeup of it was going to be. It was a starting rotation. There's plenty of talk to be had about the bullpen and all the turnover and the different things that have gone on with that, and I think that we've addressed that pretty well in the last few weeks. But just looking at the rotation first, Max Fried and Mike Soroka have suddenly just turned into the guys who are leading this staff. Fried's 25, Soroka's 21. These two guys were not even in the rotation to start the year. The Braves have demoted three-fifths of their rotation to start the year, and of course they started without Mike Fultonevich because he was on the I.L., the emergence, though, of Max Fried and Mike Soroka, Nick, I think has been exactly what Atlanta needed. They definitely needed it. I loved Max Fried and what he's been able to do. I, I feel like he just continues to get better, and that's the the fun part about watching him pitch. He gains more confidence each start out, and he's gaining more confidence each in each of his pitches. And last night, I loved watching him pitch last night. I just felt like he was locked in. Uh, from the get-go, he's throwing strikes. He uses his fastball velocity when he needs it. Uh, he's not throwing 97 all the time, but he can get up mm-hmm. there. He uses a slider late in the game yesterday, and I thought that was that was fun to see because now you've got this 82 to 86, 87-mile-an-hour slider that they haven't seen all game, and all of a sudden now it's jamming people. It's, it's showing people that he's got another pitch. Now you have something else to think about. The curveball is outstanding. And the one thing that I, I saw yesterday, and the more you watch him, the more you notice this stuff, is he's – we know he can spin it. We know uh, he's able to throw it for strikes. But he's able to command it to both sides of the plate. And that's the that's the great part about Max. And that's why he's been successful against righties as well with a curveball. If you looked yesterday at Will Myers at bats, Max Fried starts the, the curveball off the plate away to, to Will Myers, right-handed batter, and breaks it either in the bottom – uh, outside corner for a strike, or he breaks it down out of the zone. So when you're when you're having to to defend against that pitch, and then he's able to throw inside at 95 consistently, it's hard. And then all of a sudden you go to lefties, and he's able to run that curveball away, which would be down into righties. Uh, he mixes in the changeup and slider. This kid is just really, I, I don't know. He's he's really showing me something every time he goes out there. And Absolutely. yesterday. 85 pitches in seven innings. It just seems like he's so efficient every time out, too. So he's now he's that guy that you say every time he starts, you feel like he can go seven innings, at least seven innings every time out, which the Braves haven't really had that in a while. So I, I just love watching Max. I'm really excited to see what he can do throughout the year, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Um, and I think the numbers are going to continue to – be kind of what they are right now. I'm, I'm not going to go out and say he's going to have a two ERA. He's going to have some ups and downs for sure. But I feel like he could stay on this plane and this path. And maybe his bad starts are five in the third, four, or something like that, like the, the start against Colorado. That might be his bad starts. Uh, so he's just been really impressive. And to see Soroka now coming out and showing that he's healthy, yes, I think is a big thing. And, and again, he's another guy. And, and when you look at young pitchers, you're looking at these guys, can they go six innings and, and have less than 90 pitches or 90 pitches or whatever? Soroka's a guy that can do that too. Yes, he can. His last time out, he went 81 pitches in six innings. So now you've got two of those guys that are efficient. We've heard a ton about Soroka uh, for a long time, and, and last year I think we got really excited and then he got hurt and he just wasn't the same. So now that he's healthy um, – 
I don't know. I, I just I feel like those two guys can anchor this rotation for a while along with Fultonevich. Now you've got a, a top three that's going to be excellent for a long time. It's just fun to watch. It's the core that the Braves have certainly been looking for. And as we've talked about Braves pitching prospects for seemingly about four or five years now, we'll continue talking about them because they've got some good ones in the minors. Some guys that we've gotten a glimpse of, whether it's a Kyle Wright or a Bryce Wilson, or some guys that we haven't gotten a look at yet with the Ian Andersons, Kyle Mullers, Joey Wentz, and other guys who are in the minor leagues, the waves that the Braves were hoping to create with some of this young talent. Tuki Toussaint, of course, we saw some of this year. I still think there's a lot of mileage left to be had in that right arm as well. So it's easy to get excited about these guys. And looking at the overall rotation right now, if you put Kevin Gosman and Julio Tehran together, the pair of them have an ERA combined of about five. If you put Max Fried and Mike Soroka together, the two of them have an ERA below two. They've both been terrific. As you mentioned, Nick, they've been really efficient. And I think that was my number one question about Soroka was going to be, was the time off and the time away and all the things he needed to do to strengthen the shoulder and then mentally, of course, to put that injury behind him so that he doesn't change anything altogether that could cause either another injury unrelated to the shoulder, just a different part of the body, whether it's his arm or or whether in particular it might be his elbow or some other uh, facet of an arm injury or some other type of an arm injury. That was one of my big questions. And again, the layoff, I think, to go back to the other part of it was, would it affect him, you know, having so much time off and so much time to kind of think about and ramp up and get back out there? And would he be trying to do things that prior to that he kind of let come naturally? And I think the answer to that has been no. He's gone out there and continued to be the same type of pitcher that put him in position to climb to the big leagues a year ago. And I think that's been really refreshing. I don't know how much you've gotten a chance to interact with Mike Soroka over the last year or so, but I've told people this without question. The smartest young pitcher that I've talked to he just has a grasp on the game and a hunger to learn even more each and every time out there, each and every time he goes to the ballpark. It's pretty refreshing to see that. And I think that Max Fried has kind of adopted some of that as well in his own way. They're not the same guy, obviously. But Max Fried, as you've talked about a lot, he decided this year he was going to go with his best stuff. He was going to attack, and he was going to, if he got beat, he got beat, but he wasn't going to mess around anymore. And I think that that's something that both of them share in their own way is the fact that they're going out there to execute. And right now, Nick, they're doing it at a very high level. When I look at Max Fried, too, and I, I'm obviously not a pitcher, but I, I look at pitchers and say, what makes them really good? Well, when I look at a pitcher like Max Fried, he's throwing through the catcher. It's exploding through the catcher. And I like that because that's, that means he's throwing with some intent. He's pitching to contact, but he, he's trusting his stuff and going right at guys. I, I, I love that about him. I love that Soroka is using his four-seam fastball more. And when Soroka was in the minor leagues, he's basically a sinker guy. Well, you get to the big leagues and guys are going to make adjustments. So what do you have to do? You've got to make those adjustments back. And for Soroka, now it's throwing that four-seamer up in the zone when he needs to. He doesn't fully rely on the sinker, which he throws a lot to get ground balls. But he gets ahead in the count and he's, he's willing to throw that fastball at 95 up in the zone. Well, when you're, you're a hitter and you're looking at sinker, 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 um, and then you've got to deal with the four-seamer also, now you're changing eye levels. Uh, you don't know if the sinker's going to be a four-seamer down in the zone, uh, and all of a sudden he elevates. He's got a nasty slider off of that. So what he's showing and his ability to adjust and adapt just tells me that he's going to continue to get better. Uh, he's such a, a good kid. 
Um, he's got the right work ethic. He wants to continue to learn. He, he's in the dugout talking, pitching all day long, uh, just trying to figure out what he could do to get better. And I think that's one thing with these young kids is they're not satisfied with where they're at. They obviously have the accolades and they have the, the prospect status and all that, but they want to be better. And that's what I've seen uh, out of these young guys. And the other thing, too, that I want to mention is we all thought the Braves should probably go get a, a top of the rotation starter. And I, I agreed with that. And I still would be okay with that. Mm-hmm. But what you're looking at, if they go, if they went and added a veteran or maybe two veterans, well, actually, let's just take one veteran because you would have had Fulton, Evans, Gosman, Tehran at the start of the season and you add a veteran. That only leaves one spot for that rotation. Who takes that spot? If they had added a veteran to this staff, Max Fried might not be in the position he's in right now. And then you certainly wouldn't have him and Soroka in the rotation at the same time. You know, so that's what the Braves were trying to, to as far as their philosophy was, to try to avoid the veteran blocking these young guys who might step up. And that's what we've seen so far. You've had Tukey, who's had a chance, and he'll be back. You had Bryce Hills had a chance. Kyle Wright's had a chance. Soroka and Freed are up there now. So if you had added that veteran piece, I don't know if you would have seen these guys step up and have that opportunity to pitch as well as they've pitched. That's absolutely right. And I think that there's an old saying that you know luck is the residue of design. And I do think that a lot of this was by design to have that good fortune to have the opportunity given to Max Freed and, of course, for him to run with it. And the same thing for Mike Soroka. Of course, health was a big aspect of getting Soroka back as well. But it does appear like for both of them that they are certainly on the rise and certainly in the middle of, if not integral, to the Braves' success as far as rotation is concerned as other questions are going to be answered over time. Kyle Wright has gone back to AAA, hasn't looked great. Sean Newcomb went back to AAA. He's looked pretty good. Tuki Toussaint, I think, has been a little bit of a mixed bag. Of course, we're going to see and hear those names again. They are going to be, I think, guys that at some point or another could be counted on to help the Braves continue to have stability, much-needed stability in their rotation, if not in the bullpen as well. There's going to be roles and opportunities to be had by all of those men. Switching uh, to the bullpen, we talked a little bit about him last week. We talked a little bit about him, I think, all season long. Luke Jackson, all of a sudden, has turned into the Braves' best reliever. And this is not something that you would have heard said on opening day when people wondered why Luke Jackson had made the 25-man roster. Was he one of the Braves' best pitchers based on arm talent? Well, the jury was out on that. The Braves saw something in him, but I think a lot of people would have looked at some of the young starters and said, well, why don't we put so-and-so in the bullpen? What do we need Luke Jackson for? He was released last year, designated for assignment last year. A lot of different things have gone into his path this season, but I think outside of opening day, when he surrendered the four runs, the grand slam home run to Reese Hoskins, this is a guy that has come in with a renewed sense of confidence in a pitch that has made him self-proclaimed your friendly neighborhood slider man. I don't know if I had heard that before. (laughs) Peter Moylan said that that had been going on since last year because he throws a lot of sliders, but Luke Jackson's got a fastball that can tick up into the high 90s, about 97 at times, but that slider has been a devastating pitch for him, and I think Nick has really made him one of the Braves' best relievers. What difference do you see in Luke Jackson from what you saw last year or before and what you're seeing this year? I think just the fact that he's throwing more competitive pitches is the biggest thing. And Luke Jackson last year, I felt like he was getting behind a lot of guys, but he wasn't able to command the strike zone, especially with 
his most important pitch, and that was a slider. He was throwing a lot of sliders in the dirt, spiking them. If you spike those sliders, guys are not going to fish at it. So then all of a sudden you're you're behind the count constantly. Um, now I feel like he just has a better idea of how to throw that slider for strikes, and then he's able to start it as a strike and break it out of the zone as well. Um, when you look at his pitch usage, it's funny because – he is the, the neighborhood slider monster or man or whatever they call him. Well, last year he threw the slider 42% of the time. This year he's throwing the slider 55% of the time. Wow. So he's definitely – he's got the stuff to do it. And he's, his fastball is up to 97. So you can't just sit slider all the time because he'll blow a fastball by you. But I, I saw a tweet by Pitching Ninja on Twitter, and it showed me exactly why – Luke Jackson so difficult to hit. And Luke Jackson, basically we talk about tunneling and throwing out of the same slot. Mm-hmm. You want to make the pitches look the same for a long period of time. Well, Luke Jackson's fastball and slider look the same until they get about halfway to the plate. And then all of a sudden the slider breaks off the table and the fastball goes straight. So that tells me all I need to know. And when you're seeing guys swing at sliders down in the dirt from Luke Jackson, now you know why. Because it looks like a fastball. And you know he's going to throw the slider, but he's got tight spin on it. It doesn't have an arc at all. Uh, it comes out of that same slot. The fastball comes out, and hitting is not easy. When, when they're able to do that and they're able to tunnel these pitches and making them look the same, it's very difficult to hit. And that's where Luke Jackson is right now. Obviously, if he throws strikes with his pitches and they will command them, that makes him a lot better. And I think that's the difference from last year this year. I just felt like he just didn't have – good command of that slider. He spiked a lot of them, and he didn't have to respect it quite as much. Like you said, it's more competitive pitches. I think that's a really good thing to key in on because as you look at the Braves' bullpen overall, save Luke Jackson and Josh Tomlin, who didn't work a lot in that first couple of weeks, which I think a lot of people thought was a little bit strange, all of a sudden Josh Tomlin has carved out for himself a nice little role as being depended upon as a Braves reliever. For Jackson, he's been limiting base runners after opening day, obviously. He's been incredibly hard to hit, incredibly hard to get anything going against. But Josh Tomlin has done exactly what the Braves thought he'd do. That's coming in and throw strikes. He is now under three as far as the ERA is concerned. Ten relief appearances, only one walk in 13 innings. I think that's something the Braves can certainly appreciate. Dan Winkler has had more ups than downs, I think, as he tries to reestablish himself a little bit. But a couple of guys, new names. I don't know that either of us have gotten that much time to see him this year, but we knew a little bit about him before. A couple of lefties the Braves have brought in. Grant Dayton up from Gwinnett. He missed a lot of time with elbow surgery, did not pitch at all uh, last year. And then Jerry Blevins, a veteran that both of us have seen from his time with the Mets, the Nationals, and the Athletics as well. Those are a couple of guys that I know that you're looking for internal and external options, but the Braves are just kind of trying, I think, to right the ship for a little while. And as Brian Snitker has said, some of this stuff is going to course correct on its own, but I think it all starts with going back to that very key phrase that you put up there, competitive pitches. If these guys are doing that, then they have an opportunity to succeed. If they're pitching constantly behind in the count, as you mentioned, it's awfully hard to get anybody to chase if they don't have to. No, you're right, and that's what they're trying to get away from is throwing – uncompetitive pitches and we've seen that a lot throughout the season again these guys are not trying to walk guys they're not trying to throw balls they're trying to make their pitches and execute their pitches well if you aren't throwing competitive pitches and you're worried about in the back of your head maybe if i if this ball leaks over the plate and it gets hit then it all everything falls apart 
that's where the mindset has to change and it has to flip the switch. And I talked about that, I think, last week. You've got to flip the switch and think about the positive things, thinking about executing your pitches without the thought of making a mistake in the back of your mind. And if you're able to attack like Luke Jackson is, Josh Tomlin is, when you have a couple guys come together and show the rest of the bullpen that this is what's going to make you successful, then I think it kind of all falls into the same boat of guys making the right pitches, the competitive pitches, and then all of a sudden the results start to, to get better. Now, there are some, a, a couple guys that we haven't seen a lot of in the in Blevins uh, and Grant Dayton. And they're going to play a big piece uh, in this bullpen. And are they going to be here all year? They might be. They've got an opportunity. And they wouldn't have gone to get Jerry Blevins, who was sitting in AAA with the A's, if they didn't feel like he could help this team out. So do I know what Blevins' role is? Probably a lefty specialist, uh, more than likely. Mm-hmm. But they need that at times. And – You've got other guys that could fill in the, the gaps in other places. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, the one guy that I've been super impressed with is Josh Tomlin. We didn't know what to expect from him. He didn't pitch forever after he pitched in that opening series. It was, I think, about 10 days he didn't pitch. Right. And he's just come out and absolutely dominated for the most part. He had the, the one outing in Cleveland where he gave up two runs. But his stuff and his, the way he attacks the zone, I think a lot of guys can learn from that. He's not going to overpower you. He's throwing 91 miles an hour, but he's able to make the, the pitches he needs to make. How about the how about the bases loaded jam that he got out of last night, mm-hmm. by the way? That was huge for this club. And to see Josh Tomlin do that with the stuff that he has versus the stuff the rest of these guys have, I think they can definitely learn from that. Yeah, they certainly can. It's not just about the stuff, of course, as we've talked about and as anybody will tell you, including the guys out there doing it. It's what you do with it that will make the difference. And Josh Tomlin certainly has maximized, I think, his, you know, the guile that you have as a veteran pitcher who's been in and around the league for a decade or so might just have a different outlook on some of these situations and some of these other guys because he may not be thinking about, well, I can't make a mistake here and rather be thinking, well, I know what I want to do here and that's what I'm going to go after. Like that's going to be where my mindset is, is what I'm trying to do rather than what could go wrong. And I'm not saying everybody's out there, you know, thinking it's chicken little time or whatnot, but it does get in your head over time if you don't perform to the level that you expect, let alone the expectations of other people. So the Braves bullpen, I think, as you pointed out, in talking about Dayton and Blevins, they're going to have an opportunity right now to show that they can be part of this bullpen. And going forward, I think that there will be still more opportunities, especially if there are continued struggles with some of these guys, because I don't think at this point anything can really be handed to anyone. You're going to have to earn it. And if you can't and you can't hold on to it, then the Braves are going to have to continue their search for answers. And I think that that's what Alex Anthopoulos will do as we move through the season, whether that's internally or externally, when deals kind of can start being made, which is clearly not in the middle to late portion of April, but could be in the coming months or so. And especially if the Braves can do what they need to do in-house and be in a position to do some buying when the time is right. Down on the farm, there are some interesting things happening. And one of those is the resurgence of Adam Duvall. I don't know if you've seen how much he's been doing of late, but nine home runs in his last 12 games. How long does a former All-Star and a guy that's hit 30 homers twice in his big league career and has hit nine homers in a 12-game span, how long does a guy like that have to sit in AAA, do you think, Nick? Well, when you look at Duvall, he's a guy that needs to play every day. So to me, I can't bring him up unless I'm going to get him the proper amount of playing time. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to play him once a week and pinch hit him another time, 
I don't think that's going to be enough. I, I think he needs to play more, and I think that he could be trade bait. There are a lot of teams that would love to have him right now. What they can get for him, I don't know. Uh, but I, I just I knew that he had to do this to reestablish his value and his confidence. How you put him back in the big leagues with the Braves, I don't know unless somebody were to get hurt. Because, again, I think that he has to play every day. I think that's how you're going to get the most out of him. I don't think he's going to all of a sudden become a great pinch hitter. He hasn't done that. He wasn't successful doing it last year. Yeah. Does that creep back into his mind when all of a sudden he plays one day and sits for five more? I don't know if he can do that or not. I, I'd love to see him have a chance to play every day. And that's kind of what Snit was saying last year when they got Duvall over. They felt like they could give him enough at-bats. Uh, he's a 30-home run guy in the past couple of years that he could be that guy again. But you've got to get in the at-bats. So I just don't see the at-bats happening in Atlanta right now. I, I don't see it. I would love to see him up and be able to be that fourth outfielder that you get him in there three times a week and pinch hit him another time. I think that might be enough. But I don't know if they have the the opportunities for him to do that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think they've got to find at least three or four starts a week for him, to your point. Then if you want to pinch hit him a couple of times, obviously that's an option. But the Braves, last year especially, when they got Duvall, they really didn't have much of a bench to speak of because Johan Camargo was playing every day at third base. Charlie Culberson obviously was great. But beyond those two guys, the Braves didn't really have that depth to start giving different guys you know, routine maintenance days, if you want to call it that, or you know, mental health days, if you want to call it that as well, to get a guy out of the lineup or just give him a little bit of a break physically to reset, which we'll talk about a little bit in just a moment. But I think that there's a lot of value to that. But now as you look at what the Braves have been doing, Charlie Culberson did not start a game in April. It took until this Padres series for him to get the opportunity to get a start. That being said, he is a good pinch hitter and has been one of the best pinch hitters in the National League in the amount of time that he's gotten, the, the finite amount of at-bats. The Braves have also, I think, gotten some some big hits out of Matt Joyce, who was a late spring pickup. He has some value off the bench. And then, of course, the Braves have Camargo when Donaldson is starting at third base. Josh has been dealing with a calf thing. I think the Braves don't want to push him, so they're giving him some necessary time off. But when you start to stack up the different guys that need at-bats and playing time, Camargo clearly at the top of that depth chart. He's bouncing all around. He's played some left field. He's played some third base. He's played shortstop, second base right field. I mean, these are places that he's going to be playing, so the question is a good one. If you brought up Adam Duvall, where exactly does he fit? Because I think you're right, Nick. Sitting him on the bench after all this really doesn't do him a whole lot of good, and it may not do the Braves a whole lot of good either. And that, of course, is a good problem to have when you have enough players that you have some expectation out of. But let me bring it all the way back to Ender Inciarte. There has to be some point where the Braves figure out where exactly he fits, and right now it's toward the bottom of the order. The defense is obviously elite, but for him, he's got to figure out a way to break out of this slow start, and he's looked a little bit better lately, but how much will be enough for him before there is some kind of maybe internal evaluation that's taken regarding Ronald Acuna stealing some center field starts, and then obviously other guys can start on the corners depending on how the Braves want to play that. I mean, it's a good problem to have, but still, these are questions I think they're going to have to ask yourself as they move forward, are they not? Okay, think about this. If if you like defense and you aren't happy with Ender, Duvall is a gold glove type left fielder. Right. If you feel like Duvall has done enough to show you that he should be playing every day and you're comfortable with that, then maybe you think about trading Ender. I don't know. That would be an option. I'm sure there are a lot of teams that would love to have Ender 
He's on a team-friendly deal for quite a few years, and he has shown in the past what he can do. I, I still like Ender. I still think Ender should be playing right. every day. He's got he's to do a better job than he has you know, to start out this season, although he's gotten better as of late. And I think he could continue to get better. And when you put him at the bottom of the order, it takes pressure off of him. What he's going to be, I'm not sure. But if, if Ender can hit 275, play gold glove defense, come up with some big hits here and there, then I think you're fine. And the question is, what do you want to do with Ender? And that tells you what you could do with everybody else. Because obviously you can move Acuna to center field if you were to be able to trade Ender. What could you get for him? I think you could pack an Ender and another and a pitcher and get something nice in return. I think you could do that. Are they trying it? Who knows? They're probably trying everything as far as we know. But I don't know how long you give Ender. Uh, if he continues to hit 230, then you have to think about doing something. And maybe a move would be something they look at as far as a trade's concerned. But Ender's not a guy to me that can just sit on the bench either. Ender's a guy that needs to play every day. Yeah. So like you said, you do have good problems. But again, you've got to find spots for these guys. I'm not going to have confidence in Ender not playing five days in a row and coming out and having a big game. You know, I, I just don't see that happening. And then again, where's his confidence if you were to do that? Because he had a 200 hit season a couple of years ago. Last year, he had a great second half. So what are you going to do? Just bench him and, and sit him five days in a row or whatever and play him at, once a week? I don't think that's going to go over well. And he's never going to get his confidence back. The same thing happened with Duvall. So where do you go? You, you've got to evaluate at some point. But I think Ender's heading in the right direction. I think he's showing us something uh, as far as being at the bottom of the order, doing some small things to, to help the team out. If he's helping the team out, I'm all in. And you play him every day. Uh, if you aren't okay with that, you feel good about Duvall, then maybe you look at making a trade. Who knows? But they have some options, and to see Adam Duvall playing as well as he's playing, it, it definitely gives you more options. It just it gives you something to think about, of course. And just looking at what has gone on thus far for Ender and Ciarte, first 13, 14 games of the year, he was hitting a buck fifty nine. Clearly a slow start. Not what he needed, not what the Braves needed. Certainly hard to see that at a leadoff spot for any long period of time. Bumping him around a little bit in the lineup, I think, has helped when he dropped down to the seventh spot, eighth spot, uh, for the most part, since the middle of April. He's batting 306 with an on-base just above 350 and slugging just under 430. If you go back and look at what was Ender's best season, well, it was his 200-hit season in 2017, where he hit 304 with an on-base percentage of 350 and was slugging right around just above 400. So he's kind of back to that norm, if you want to look at it, over the last 15, 16 games. So that is, of course, a positive. He's doing it in a much different place in the lineup, though, and down in that 7 and 8 spot primarily. And maybe that's where he's going to find some comfort to get that confidence back and start doing some of the things that makes him a valuable player offensively. Defensively, I don't think it can be understated that the Braves are a better team when they have Ender Inciarte in center field. He's just one of the better outfielders in baseball. That's how you win three gold gloves. He still brings that to the park each and every day. So... There are a lot of things for the Braves to consider. A minor league home run binge may not be enough to change their plans, nor maybe should it be, just based on track record and things that have gone on over the last year and, of course, the plan to have playing time for some of these guys. So I know a lot of folks have been curious about Adam Duvall and this power surge and what it might mean for the club, and we might find out the answer to that, especially if he keeps hitting home runs because the Braves will have to make some kind of decision 
Is it attractive to some other team? Possibly. And maybe that could net you something that you need back from that other club that might, say, answer a question or two in your bullpen, depending on exactly how that deal would be structured. But just a lot of conjecture and just something fun to kind of ponder. And obviously a good problem when you've got a bunch of guys vying for spots and you've got more depth than you've had at any time in the last five or six years. So that's what's happening with Adam Duvall. Austin Riley, it's also worth noting, he is slugging quite well at AAA. He's off to, after about a week and a half of kind of slow, not much going on with Austin Riley, the last couple of weeks has been very, very, uh, I would say encouraging to say the least. He hit nearly a 500-foot home run on Wednesday. If you haven't seen the video of that, I invite you to check that out. It's on Twitter. Uh, put a link up to that video Certainly worth checking it out to remind you exactly how strong Austin Riley is because he's pretty darn good. Uh, wrapping things up on our Braves discussion, Ronald Acuna got the day off on Wednesday. Ronald doesn't get a whole lot of those. I think that maybe this was one that was needed. Have you noticed anything about him maybe pressing a little bit more over the last week or 10 days? And how valuable is the day off in terms of maybe just hitting that reset button for him ever so briefly? I think it's important. And the best part about that was he got in yesterday and he got a base hit even though it wasn't. Yep. A normal Acuna base hit, but if you look at this Padres series, he's he's hit a couple balls hard too. One was a line drive to right field on ninety six. Another one was pulled uh, at ninety three miles an hour. If he's back on the fastball, I think he's okay. Uh, I think he's pressing a little bit for sure. And when you're a young kid hitting fourth in the order, one of the best players in the game, and you struggle a little bit, you strike out a little bit too much, and you're not getting your hits is definitely going to become a mental thing. So he needs a day off. Uh, I kind of wish he would have had a complete day off, but that's okay. Uh, he'll be back in there. And, and I think that he's going to make those adjustments. I know on the TV broadcast, Jeff Frank core noted something about his bat. As far as his bat tilt, the point of the bat was point a little bit, I guess, over his head a little bit more than he, he normally does. He typically has his bat straight up and down. He's raised his hands a little bit. These are small things that happen when you're not swinging well and you're struggling and you start to make these adjustments just based on feel. He's not meaning to do anything with it that he wasn't doing before. So that stuff happens and all of a sudden you look back and you're like, wow, I made these adjustments. I didn't even know it. And now my swing's a little bit off. So I've got to get back on track. But yeah, I think that he's definitely pressing a little bit. I think it's important to get him a day off every now and then. I think he can handle playing every day. Uh, 162, but again, you've seen veteran guys. We saw it last year. Freddie Freeman, Nick Marquez played every game, and what happened to them? They had some a couple weeks here and there where they struggled. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. He's going to be okay, but I want to see him get back on the fastball and be a little bit more aggressive. I think that'll be the big key, and Ronald is a guy that if you look at his path in the minor leagues, and even I think over the last year or so, calendar year a little bit more now that he's been up, he will be prone to these times where all of a sudden he just isn't quite getting the swings he wants. The strikeouts start to pile up a little bit, and that creates, I would imagine, maybe a little bit of cause for concern if you're just looking at the numbers. But he seems to be a guy that really makes rather quick adjustments and or course corrections, or as you pointed out, some of those line drives start finding gaps or some of them go over the wall. That's just the kind of player that he is. So I wouldn't say there's too much concern but a day off every now and again, just to kind of clear the mechanism, as it were, not a bad thing to be had for Ronald Acuna. As you look at the numbers, very much in line with the rates that he put up last year. Hitting cleanup, obviously a little bit different. I've definitely liked the the overall quality of his at-bats in terms of 
working counts and whatnot has been more good than bad. Certainly, I think lately maybe he's taken some pitches that he'd like to have another opportunity at, but it's a long season, and these adjustments happen over the course of time, and Ronald Acuna is certainly a guy that can make some of those adjustments. So that's what's going on with the Braves as they wrap up a homestand, get ready for a 10-game road trip that starts on Friday against the Miami Marlins. So we'll keep you posted on all of that stuff as the Braves head out on the road and try to make the most of those 10 games, which, again, would start off on the right note if they can beat up on a club that's at the bottom of the National League East standings. Elsewhere around the big leagues, as we look at the standings heading into the weekend, it's been, I would say, a bit surprising in the American League East because the Tampa Bay Rays have really grabbed the top of that division and are holding on. The very injury-depleted Yankees, though, are making a little bit of a race of it. The Blue Jays and Red Sox right around 500. The Orioles not doing so great. They're nine games out heading into action uh, on Friday. And then as you look at the Central, I think an interesting storyline, Nick, that came from the action yesterday or came from the action on Wednesday is that Cleveland has lost another starter. Corey Kluber hit by a line drive, has a fractured forearm. That, of course, that loss cannot be understated for a Cleveland staff that was already without Mike Clevenger. This might open the door, I think, for the upstart twins who have been, I think, one of the more exciting clubs in the early going. They've got some youth. They've got some veteran guys mixed in there. They've got some guys you've never heard of. And, of course, they've got a young manager in Rocco Baldelli. Have you liked what you've seen from the twins? And do you think that they have a chance to be for real? I do. I think they have the right pieces. And that's the main key. They swing the bats with power. Rosario, Eddie Rosario has 11 home runs already. Mm-hmm. Scope swinging the bat well. The one guy that hasn't swung the bat well is Marvin Gonzalez. And he's hitting 159. If he starts to get back to who he is, the offense is just going to continue to get better. Uh, they, ha- they have a lot of young guys that are really good uh, that I really enjoy watching. From an offensive perspective, the pitching has been good. I love what Rocco Baldelli brings to the team and his leadership and his youthfulness. I think when you look at managers now, a lot of teams are going to go towards that guy that has youth on his side. Um, And I think that they do that because those guys can relate to the players. When Rocco got the deal with Minnesota, he went and visited quite a few of the guys on the team. He just wanted to get to know the guys. He wanted to, to figure out how he could best help them in their careers. He wasn't going to go and change them and fix them and correct them right away, but he wanted to build a relationship with these guys. And I think when I look back on my past and the best managers I had were the ones that had the relationship with the players and the players trusted the manager, the manager trusted the player. They knew everybody had their back. And that's the type of manager Rocco Baldelli is. Uh, he's gotten the most out of this club. They, they obviously have the talent and the ability uh, you had to stay healthy to do what you need to do throughout an entire course of a year, but they're on the right track. And I think you're right. I mean, the Indians, we just basically hand the Indians the, the AL central because they've done it so many years in a row. Uh, they have a good team and they're managed by Terry Francona. You just expect them to win. Yeah. Well, now things have gotten interesting and you can't just hand them that title. Kluber's hurt now when he's going to be back. We don't know. Uh, he wasn't pitching that well anyway. Right. Their offense has struggled. So now this opens the door for, for Minnesota. And Minnesota's led by the right guy. Uh, they have the talent to do it. So we'll see what happens throughout the year. Obviously, it's just the second month, basically the second month of the season. And we're talking about it. But it's fun to talk about. And I'm excited for Rocco. Uh, he's a teammate of mine in a couple different spots. And, and I think that he's the right guy for that team. 
Yeah, he has certainly led them to a great start over the first month plus of the season, but there's a lot of baseball left to be played. Wouldn't rule the Indians out most certainly. Rest of that division, not really doing a whole lot, though. It will be interesting to monitor what the White Sox do with some of their young players who are playing extremely well. In the West, Seattle Mariners kind of coming back down to earth. Houston Astros going to where you thought they'd be, and that's the top of that division. In the National League, we've talked about the East a bit. It's the Phillies ahead of both the Mets and Braves by a couple of games heading toward the weekend. In the Central, it's the Cardinals, the best team in the National League record-wise. The Cubs, though, have come back from the dead as well. They've won four in a row heading into Thursday. They've looked like a much different team than the Braves saw a few weeks ago at SunTrust Park. The Brewers, meanwhile, they're scuffling a bit, but there's a lot between those three teams that is left unsettled as they'll have a lot of head-to-head meetings, and I expect it to be a very interesting race. want to close out, though, with the National League West as the Braves are going to see both the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. They're wrapping up with the Padres. They just saw the Rockies. A couple of weeks from now, they'll see the San Francisco Giants, so the Braves are kind of getting very familiar with that division. Cody Bellinger is off to an incredibly absurd start. That's good news. Clayton Kershaw is back and is healthy for the Dodgers. That's great news, but all the news is not great because A.J. Pollock, one of their big signings of the winter, he is off of the active roster for who knows how long and headed for the injured list because he's having a third elbow surgery, this dating back to when he broke his elbow a couple of years ago. He's going to be out a while. Don't don't know that it's going to be as long as the last couple of times, but that's a pretty big, I would say, a setback, if you will, for the Dodgers as they expected Pollock to bring a right-handed bat to a lineup that needed a little bit of balance. Yeah, it's a disappointing for the Dodgers, but you know what they do? They just retool, restock. Reload. They have the right people to handle these type of injuries, and that's why they've been so good for so long. It's, you're looking at depth. They have it. They have power. Uh, obviously, they got Pollock because they wanted a right-handed power bat. Um, he was the guy, and, and that's a little bit disappointing for them. Uh, but they have guys that can, that can fill the, the void, and that's why you never count them out. It doesn't matter if Clayton Kershaw misses the entire season. You still don't count the Dodgers out. That's just how they work. Right. Like I said, they have a lot of guys that can fill the void there. Um, Cody Bellinger has been incredible, by the way. Ridiculous. Uh, they said He said in the offseason he wanted to be an everyday guy, and he wanted to prove to the Dodgers he could hit lefties. He's done that and more. Um, I mean, he's hitting 425 right now with 14 homers, 38 RBIs. That's a that's an incredible season, um, and he's only played 32 games. Right. So uh, Justin Turner hasn't really started to hit up to his capabilities uh, yet this year. He's only got one home run on the season in 30 games. He's going to be better. This Dodgers team is is a team you'd never worry about. Um, Corey Seager is going to get better. Uh, Max Muncy is going to be better. Pollock was only hitting 223, by the way. So he it wasn't like he was tearing the cover off the ball either. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's a big blow. But when you when you look at those numbers and and then you look at what the Dodgers have done, they're 20 and 13, 12 and 4 at home. And we mentioned that earlier. So how do you pick up the pieces and go 20 and 13 when you have guys hitting in the 220s, 230s that are big pieces of the puzzle? You have a great lineup as far as depth is concerned. You have different guys. Uh, coming up with big hits at different times, and that's who the Dodgers are. Uh, they're going to continue to do that, and they're going to continue to be okay. 
Yeah, they will be because they do have that depth. And just looking at the Bellinger numbers, which you can slice up all kinds of different ways and glean all kinds of things from it in terms of just eye-popping statistics, the fact that he is doing this well and you still have the little bit of a debate with whether he or Christian Yelich has been the hottest hitter in baseball at one time or another, I would probably hand the trophy to Bellinger, you know, no pun intended, bell the bell right now from opening day to where we're sitting as we begin the month of May, hitting 425, as you mentioned, just a couple of days into the month. The 14 homers, absolutely absurd. One of the things he's done, though, more walks, less strikeouts. That's something that, as you look at, and it's silly to do it right now, but I'm going to do it anyway, the projected <laughs> stats for the rest of the year. He's on pace for 69 home runs, 187 runs batted okay. in. 69 home runs. That would even break Barry Bonds' record, and no, that's how not. great of a start he's gotten off to. Yeah. And that's one of the many ways you can look at it, absolutely. But the 79 strikeouts and the pace right now for him on the season, that's about half the rate in which he struck out each of his first two seasons in the big league. So something for Cody Bellinger has really clicked in terms of his ability to cover the plate. And obviously, if you look at the batting average and everything else, his ability to get on base, he's doing everything he needs to do at such a high level right now. It's almost otherworldly. Well, when you look at Cody Bellinger's swing, it's not a swing that you would teach, but – what he's done this year, as opposed to last year and the previous years, he's limited the head movement. So if you look at him last year and you put an arrow right where his head started and then you put an arrow where his head finished, there would be a big gap. He moved his head that much because he doesn't really have a load where you're talking about loading up, going back to go forward. Mm -hmm. He just basically goes forward. So he lunges forward and his head moves a long way. Well, this year, that gap has shrunk. And so... What does that do when you have less head movement? You have a better control of the strike zone. And he's so talented uh, that a simple adjustment like that makes him that much of a more selective hitter. And then all of a sudden, all these numbers start to come together. He's hitting lefties better. Uh, he's adding power uh, This this that he had two years ago that he didn't have quite as much last year right. because he had so much head movement. And now it's just everything's falling into place. But when you look at his head compared to this from this year to last year, there's a huge difference, and that to me makes the difference in it. The base basically the way he's selective with his pitches, the ones he knows he can hit, the ones he lays off of, and the ones that he swings at. So he's made an adjustment that has really paid dividends. And whatever the adjustments he's made, and whatever the difference has been, the Dodgers are happy that he's figured it out. And the rest of the National League, meanwhile, not so much because he's a big part of the Dodgers' hot start and why they're sitting on the top of the standings in the National League West. And, of course, the Dodgers will host the Braves for a three-game series as part of the 10-game road trip that is coming up. So that'll wrap things up for us on this episode of From the Diamond. If you enjoyed it, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, that's where you can subscribe. Ratings and reviews always appreciated on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, and Nick is at NickGreen20 from thediamond.com is where you can find all the episodes and all the other stuff all season long, talking about the Braves and a little bit of everything that happens across all of baseball as well. Nick, look forward to seeing you at the ballpark sometime soon, but the Braves are going to be away from the ballpark for a little while. So whatever you do, enjoy it. And I know that you and I will both have some probably late nights over the next week, week and a half. <laughs> yes, we will. All right. Well, Get I look forward sleep. to I will do that and you do the same. And I look forward to talking with you sometime soon. That'll do it for us here Great. on From the Diamond. And I will catch up with you next time. So long, everyone.